0: morning I want to welcome each of you here if you're in person online just uh, really good to have you and uh, if you are a guest uh, there is an extra flap in the bulletin it's not uh, serrated so you uh, just ask if you would fill that out and at the end of the service there's a box on the welcome table if you just put that in the box we'd sure appreciate it and while you're there grab a bag that uh, is just our gift for you so we're just glad that you're worshiping with us this morning I'd like you to bow with me if you would as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come this morning and uh, this Advent season knowing that we're in a time which we celebrate the, the first coming of Jesus and it's a, a joyous time, a blessed time, a time of family and friends and uh, just has a lot of uh, sometimes warm memories and thoughts, but for others, Lord, it's a, it's a tough time. Uh, because it only stirs up painful memories and and hardships and difficulties. And whatever it is, Father, that we find either joy or, or, or struggle or challenge, I pray that we would find in you our peace and our comfort. And I pray that as we open up your word this morning, looking not at the first coming of Jesus, but at the second coming of Jesus, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law. And I pray, Father, that... Your word would speak to each of our hearts and that you'd accomplish what you want to do in each of us. For your glory, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm not a great historian, but um, I believe it was General Douglas MacArthur in World War II when he was um, on the island of the Philippines in the Southeast Asia. He got routed and sent away and uh, had had to leave. And after he left, and as he was leaving, he he made the the famous statement, I will return. Two years later, uh, I think somewhere around two years later, this picture was taken of General Douglas MacArthur walking back onto the island of the Philippines where he summarily had and his troops defeated, uh, then defeated uh, the Japanese army. And as I was thinking about uh, the text for this morning, I thought about that was MacArthur. He said, I will return. Well, this morning we're talking about a passage of Scripture where our Lord Jesus Christ said, I will return. Actually, he didn't say he would return uh, in this passage, but he does return in this passage as we look at it this morning. And, you know, Jesus' prediction that he was going to go to the cross after the kind of extended and terrible conflict, hostile conflict between him and the religious leaders as we've been looking at it in Matthew beginning with uh, chapter 21 where he entered in Jerusalem through chapter 23, uh, there was this kind of period of extended hostile conflict between them and then he was predicting that he was going to go to the cross prior to that. It, it becomes a little clear that, yeah, that's actually going to happen. Uh, He's he's not endearing himself to the the religious leaders. And so he knows that he's going to leave. And he does leave. But when he leaves, he's not leaving in defeat when he's crucified. It's all part of the plan. It's all part of God's plan to complete God's complete plan of redemption when Jesus comes back. So just like MacArthur came back and finished the job, Jesus is going to come back. And finish what he started when he came the first time. And so this morning, as uh, we get started, I want to kind of rewind because last week we looked at the passage of Matthew 24, 15 through 28. And we, it all, it all centers around this, this horrendously difficult period of sh- scripture known as Daniel's 70th week. All right. And, uh, if you have your bulletin, if you have an, uh, outline of the passage uh, for the sermon if you turn it over you're going to see a a little graphic that I'm going to hopefully will put up here on the screen I don't think you can read that I can't read that and I'm standing right next to it but if you have the bulletin you can read it and I'll try to walk you through it this is a review from last week because all of this centers around the prophetic message that Jesus is coming but what are the factors and what are the circumstances and what are the actual things that take place in it so here we go in Daniel's 70th week begins if we looked at daniel chapter 9 verse 24 which is over on the left hand side of that sheet of paper um that's Daniel's 70th week consists of 70 periods of seven okay so 77s are 490 years we consider the weeks to be weeks of years okay so it's 490 years when does it begin well We know that it begins in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. There's three periods. There's a period of seven weeks, 49 years. There's a period of 62 weeks, which is... Chad, can you go back to that uh, slide? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to be there for a few minutes, okay? So there's a period of seven weeks, which is 49 years. Then you add to that a period of 62 weeks, which is 434 years. Then you have one week, which is seven years. And you get 490 years, okay? So when does it all start? The, the reckoning, the time begins in Daniel chapter 9 verse 25, the, or, you know, we see it begins with the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which scholars would say begins or took place back in chapter, Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 5 through 8. Okay? Daniel says, so you're no longer understanding that from the issue of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, 69 weeks, and I'll build it again with streets and moat and all that kind of stuff, okay? So, you've got seven weeks plus 62 weeks, because 483 years, that's the, the time frame. When does it start? It starts for that decree, that decree went out in 445 B.C. So 445 B.C., 483 years later, as we were reminded by Doug, based on a lunar calendar reckoning, brings us to 32 AD, which is exactly when Jesus came in to Jerusalem. And we have that, and we know that that's what happened, okay? So, that's the 483 years. What's interesting is in Daniel, Daniel doesn't go right from the 69th week into what happens in the 70th week. No, there's something else that takes place. So in Daniel chapter 9, uh, verse 26, uh, we read this. Then, after the 62 weeks, which would include the seven weeks prior to it, okay, the Messiah will be cut off. So, one thing that happens between the 69th week and the 70th week is the crucifixion of Jesus. And then, he says, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Jerusalem will be destroyed. So those two things take place between the 69th week and the 70th week, and we see in history that in 70 A.D. Jerusalem was ransacked, and it took and that, and that took place. So the length of the time between the 69th week and the 70th week is really indeterminate. We don't know how long it is. It's what the scriptures talks about as the, as the church age. It's a time of the church. So it's from the 69th week until. The end of the 70th week, or till the beginning of the 70th week, that's the church age. Okay? So, we don't know. There's a, I didn't, on your sheet there, sorry, my bad, uh, between the 69th and 70th week, there should be like a little gap, okay? Should be like a gap there, but there isn't on the, on the paper, but there is according to scripture, okay? So then from the 69th week to the 70th week, uh, well, what happens when the, when the 70th week starts? That's what we're talking about, that's what we're talking about today. The 70th week begins when the prince to come, according to Daniel 9:26, will head an alliance of nations. That's Daniel 9:27, and convince this group of nations that they're going to make a covenant with the people of Israel. That's when the 70th week begins. All right. And uh, in the middle of the 70th week, Daniel 9:27, then the prince decides, Hey, I'm going to break that covenant, and he breaks the covenant. And he puts an end to the sacrifice and the grain offering, and then he and and, and uh, desecrates the temple by, according to Matthew twenty four fifteen, standing in the holy place. And I believe in fulfillment of Second Thessalonians chapter two says you should worship me. The Antichrist, that's in the middle of this seventieth week, all right. So he says that's what you should that you, that's what should happen. And the 70th week then becomes this hour of testing. Which, and I want to slow down here, the 70th week would be the last, would be the tribulation period, okay? And this hour of testing from which, not through which, I believe the church will be exempt. So I'm going to say that again. From which... Not through which the church, so the church won't be there. That's what I'm trying to say. In my understanding, the church won't be there during the 70th week. All right, the church is going to be gone during the 70th week, and this is the time of tribulation. serves as a sign that the Son of Man will return, just as the robins return to Northwest Iowa as a sign of spring. Now, I find out, I moved to Des Moines, and guess what, the Robins, that's where the Robins came uh, to live during the winter from Northwest Iowa. I didn't know this, but you know, it's like, I'm thinking, I mean, I'm here in February, and I'm seeing and hearing Robins, and I'm going, what? When I lived in Northwest Iowa, uh, once it got to October, boom, Robins are gone. It wasn't until March again that we saw them again. Well, when they came again, we knew spring was coming. When the, the things that are happening in Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 31, we know that christ is coming for judgment the church will be gone but for judgment of those alive on the earth and to gather those who are believers at the time And we're going to talk about that and so we see that matthew 24 verses 29 to 31 moves from the expectation of jesus coming to the experience of jesus coming if you have your bibles I invite you to turn to matthew chapter 24 we're going to look at verses 29 through 31. There's, uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in one of the seats in front of you, underneath one of the seats in front of you, if you have your phone or your device, whatever you want to use. I'm in Matthew 24, beginning with verse 29 and reading through verse 31. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, which we just got done laying out for you as the annual 70th week, okay? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. In Matthew 24, these three verses, uh, I've broken it down into three stages in Christ's return that I think should, well, actually the text tells us, saddens unbelievers and serves to strengthen and shore up those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So here we go. These are the three. First of all, our Lord is announced. His coming is announced. Verse twenty nine, but immediately after the tri- the uh, the tribulation of those days. So immediately after the seventieth week, but before Jesus comes back, this is what's going to happen. There's some things that are going to happen. All right, it's those days are uh, uh, refer to the preceding days of trouble, culminating with the terrible days of the tribulation. All right, these are days. This. The days that I'm, those days, they're a time when sin is rampant. The church is gone, and Satan is trying his best and last final effort to assert control over this world. Okay? So that's the time. And he says, it's gonna, there's gonna, during that time, after that time, something's gonna happen. I'm reaching for a coin here because I have an example here, okay? When I, when you see this at, at a football game, right? Come to the center of the, center of the field and the captains from the opposing teams and they, they toy, they throw the coin and they, okay, heads, you know, you guys receive, you guys kick off. That's a signal that some things are going to happen, but it's a signal that the game is about to start, but the game hadn't started yet. These are signs that Christ is coming back, but he hadn't come back yet. Alright? And so that's what we're talking about. And there are several terrifying cosmic disturbances that set the stage for the Lord's arrival. And that's what he talks about in verse 29. First of all, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky. It's a time in which Luke says this in his parallel passage upon the earth dismay among the nations and men fainting from fear and the expectation of things which are coming upon the on the world fainting for fear trembling and afraid I remember when I was in high school we had a solar eclipse um, so that means that I think it was the uh, Something, I don't know, something got in the way of the sun, okay, so it, the moon, I think the moon, the moon kinda gets in the way, okay? Uh, I'm real scientific, right? I'm an astrology major, no. So, so the moon kinda rolls in front of the sun, and it was like, it got kinda hazy, and it got kinda dim, but it never got really dark. Well, what Jesus describes here is not a dimming, but a darkening. It's really bad, okay? But it's highly symbolic language, so we don't know exactly how this all pans out, right? We don't know exactly how it is that the sun is blotted out or that the moon is blotted out or how, how the stars are, are being hurled about in the sky. We don't understand that, all right? But we do know that the natural order of normal things is significantly and terribly upset. Things are not as they would should be as we think about it. The sun and the moon the stars... In the ancient Near East, they were glorious bodies and they were actually deified. The people worshipped the sun, the moon, and the stars. Okay? And so they held them in in highest regard and they are worshipped. But here, these objects are going to be humbled, they're going to be hidden, and they're going to be hurled about uh, in, in preparation for God's visiting through His Son. You see... When God wants to be glorified, whatever would take glory away from it needs to be veiled. And so there's not going to be any competition when Jesus comes back for who's in charge and and the glory of it. Then he says, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken in verse 29. I don't know what that means. I do know this, Colossians 1.17, it says, "Christ In Christ, all things are held together. And if in Christ all things are held together, that in Christ all things can be shaken up. And that's what's going to happen. It's going to be taken and and stressed and taken apart. You see, in the Old Testament, darkness and dread and heavenly disturbances, like those mentioned here, were a sign and a symbol either that accompanied or announced God's judgment. And I don't think it's any different here. They're announcing his judgment. That's the purpose here. Now, I didn't know my dad was going to be here this morning, but uh, I'm going to share this anyway because this is an illustration of the fact that uh, the dread of judgment. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I have two sisters, and we used to drive along in the, in the car, and like normal children, we weren't always the most well-behaved, Okay. Uh, we would kind of nitpick and you crossed my line of space, you know, you invaded my private space and you shouldn't do that or you took my, you're blocking my view, you took my crayons, you took my toys, whatever. And we knew that if my father ever pulled the car off the road, <laughs> imminent danger was upon us. That wasn't the danger, but that was the sign of the danger. Okay, because he wouldn't stop without punishment being meted out. When the stars and the, when the stars are hurled about the sky, and the sun and the moon are darkened, it is God pulling the car over because judgment is about to come. This is the picture. And see, what's interesting is if you look at the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 13, verses 6-12, the prophet spoke immediately of of Babylon's destruction, but ultimately of God's judgment that's, I think, being described here. Now look at uh, Isaiah chapter 13. For the stars of the heavens and the constellations will not flash their light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light so I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their wrongdoing and I also will put an end to the audacity of the proud and the humiliate the arrogance of the tyrants this is God's prophecy against Babylon but I don't think it's confined to the Babylon the great of history it's to the world as it's projected and fulfilled ultimately in the, in the Lord's return Similarly, Joel reveals the day of the Lord is inaugurated in God's judgment upon Babylon, but it's culminated in the return of Christ to bring judgment. And you can go to that Joel passage. Uh, you got it? Okay. Well, it was up on the back. Before them, the earth quakes and the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon become dark and the stars lose their brightness. And tear your heart and not merely your garments and now return to the Lord... Uh, your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. So God is giving them an opportunity to repent. But here we have it. And Jesus' is teaching about the the end is prefigured in these prophetic announcements to these nations. But it is ultimately fulfilled in Christ's coming, at, at Christ's second coming. And so Jesus draws his lesson that he's teaching here from Isaiah and from Joel, and from Amos, and from other passages, I could uh, take you to them. We're not going to do that right now. But the presence of shadow and shaking, and of dread and darkness, all that kind of stuff, it reveals Christ's character. He's holy. He's just. He's authoritative. And He will come in judgment. I remember sitting in my office uh, several years ago, and actually, reoccurring, Thing happened here just a couple of years ago, when I was living here in in Urbandale. and I was sitting in my office, and it was like ten o'clock in the morning. And the clouds rolled in, and it was so dark out that the street lights came on, and our security lights came on at the church, and the there was lightning, and there was thunder, and guess what? All that did it just alerted me that there's a severe storm coming. Now, fast forward into whatever time frame God has, and there is complete darkness, and the sun and the moon do not cast their lights, and stars are being hurled like meteors around the, the earth, and it's like, uh, this is a kind of a harbinger of something bad is going to happen. You know, it's kind of, it doesn't take uh, too much to figure out that this is not good. With the church gone, most of humanity will be living in rebellion against God during this 70th week and deserving terrifying judgment. And this is exactly what Jesus has said was going to happen back in Matthew 13. I want you to look at this passage in Matthew 13, verses 40 through 42, or 41 and 42. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, which we're going to see uh, in The next couple verses that God sends forth these angels, verse 31. And they will gather out of his kingdom the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What I'm saying is I believe that the second coming of Jesus will not just gather the elect, but it will bring judgment upon the wicked. And it's being described here. So I would say this morning, don't be deceived. The King is coming. He's coming. Don't be deceived. Let that fact compel us, if we don't know Jesus, to repent and and trust in Christ and His death alone as a payment for our sins. And don't let those of us who know Jesus become complacent say, yeah, well, you just said I'm not going to be around for that, so I don't need to worry about that. But Other people will be, so we need to be concerned about them, and we also need to be encouraged to press ahead in our faith until the Lord takes us home. Or if I'm wrong, will be some of us might be around. There's a second stage that he reveals here. And the second one is our Lord appears. Okay? It's not just announced, but in verse 30, the Lord appears. Three distinguishing marks of the Lord's appearance. First of all, the sign of the Son of Man. Notice it says in verse 30, and then, what, after the skies darkened, sun, moon, and after the stars are being hurled about, then the sign of the Son of Man. Now go back in your verse, if you're looking at your Bible, read verse 3 of chapter 24. What's the question the disciples ask? And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And what does he do? He gives them a bunch of signs until we get to verse 30. And what's he say in verse 30? the sign this will be the sign and I believe the sign is the coming. It's not some other similarly laid out spectacular thing it is him returning. that's the sign. so he doesn't really answer it the way they wanted him to but the sign does not refer to a preliminary sign but the sign is the son of man coming. Remember that title Son of Man? It's a title communicates Jesus deity and his authority and it's drawn from the title given to the son of man in Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 and so this is the one with divine authority and the deity of God Christ who will come in in authority and there's certainty here notice the text says and then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man. They will. Not that they might. It's going to get cold. Okay? We live in Iowa. It's December. Yeah, I know. You're saying, yeah, well, man, 60 65 or 70 on Wednesday. Yes. Uh, that's one day. I always tell people that's why we have average temperatures in Iowa, right? Well, the average daily temperature in, in, in December in Iowa is probably 45 degrees. Uh, that's not 70. No. So if you have 70, uh, you figure averages, that means we're going to have something in the 20s or the 30s. And then the average daily. So we have, it's going to get cold. That's a promise. And you know it's coming. Jesus says, they will see. The Son of Man appearing in the sky. It's not a probability; it is a prophetic reality that we can't get away from. You, it's a promise that we can bank on, and so is the promise of Christ. So that's the sight. Then there's the sorrow, and this is a fascinating passage. You come in there, and you, uh, verse, phrase in the verse, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. I read it, I go, wait a second, Jesus came back, so what's everybody whining about? What's the problem? Well, in response, all the tribes will mourn. It echoes the prophecy of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, uh, the, the Jews who were alive in Zechariah's days were mourning because of their sin, and they were sorrowful and in repentance of how they had uh, treated and rejected God and God was judging them for it. But the, rem- the mourning of the all nations in Matthew twenty isn't about repentance and sorrow. It's about realization that they had rejected God and His Messiah and now imminent judgment is coming. When all the tribes of the earth see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory, they're going to go, Oops. Uh, we really blew it. Because we rejected and we resisted and we rebelled against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We've been living in rebellion and they're going to mourn their tragic and their certain end. And John says the same thing in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Behold he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him and even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him yeah he will come on the clouds with power and great glory this is uh drawing imagery from Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 13 and, and again Daniel chapter 7 verse verse 13 and his coming will convey uh, on the clouds so if he comes on the clouds the coming on the clouds is an association that's the presence of God and we've seen it in Matthew chapter 7 verse 5 With the the presence of God at the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw it back in Exodus when he was leading the people, children of Israel out of the land of Egypt in a pillar of cloud by fire. When Moses went to visit the tabernacle, it was that God appeared to him in a cloud all in Psalm 104 and other passages all throughout scripture. It conveys the presence of God. But when he's coming on the clouds, it conveys not only his presence, but his transcendence and his omnipotence. And his holy authority. So here is the king returning on the clouds. He's controlling everything. You think about, hmm, that's the second coming. How very different from his first coming. The second coming is like, whoa! Hugely majestic and glorious. And there's no doubt about his majesty and his authority and his rule and his reign. But in his first coming, it's like, in obscurity, without fanfare, in some small village called Bethlehem. And so his first coming was set to bring salvation to men. His second coming is to bring judgment and a gathering of, of his people together. First coming was to bring that salvation. The second one is to execute his judgment and to protect. This is similar to what MacArthur did, right? Uh, When MacArthur came the, the, the second time, it was to bring judgment and his enemies were in fear and his allies were rejoicing. The same will be true when Christ comes back. His enemies will be trembling and his allies will be rejoicing. They will. You see those alive at the time when Christ comes back will be in one of two camps. They will be those who see his return in all of its glory as a wonderful thing for his allies. But it will be a gruesome thing for those who are his enemies. It will be hard and harsh on them. And so I ask, which camp are you in right now? Are you one of those who's rejecting Jesus? You would be in the camp of those who would find His return gruesome and treacherous and troubling because you would be judged. Don't be that person. He doesn't want you to be that person. I don't want you to be that person. I want you to be the person who knows that you're trusting. Yes, Jesus did come as a babe in a manger and He came so that He would die on a cross pay the debt that I deserve, that He would die in my place so that if I would put my trust or my faith in Him, I would be forgiven. I would have the promise of eternal life and I would have purpose and meaning in this life for His glory. Be that person. Finally, there's the sight of Jesus in verse 30, the end of the verse. And He says, "...they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory." This is a fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 13 and 14. The Son of Man will come with divine authority to establish His kingdom and exercise dominion over the kingdom that the Ancient of Days has granted to Him. He's taken it back. And for the righteous... Those alive at the time, the righteous, His return. And even those who have been taken uh, away with the Lord and come back with Him when He comes, it will be a time for no more sorrow. No more strife. No more sadness. No more injustice. He will right the wrongs. And Christ will protect and redeem the elect. He will rule over Satan. He will restore the earth. And finally, he will reign in his kingdom. Jesus will return in the same way that he ascended. In Acts chapter 1, he ascended on the clouds. In Matthew chapter 24, he descends on the clouds. He's coming back in the same way. Um, you've seen UFOs, right? People are intrigued by these unidentified flying objects. Like there's a new name for them now, right? What uh, There's some name because uh, the... Military came out and said, yeah, they exist. So well, people said, well, I, there's a lot of stuff in the air that I can't identify. So we're intrigued by it, right? So we, we, we want to see what it is. We want to know what it is. We're intrigued. But when the son of man comes back, no UFO there, folks. It'll be clearly seen and identified. <laughs> we will identify and we know that he is, he is the one who's there and all power and his glory will be unveiled, not be hidden sad thing is not everybody will honor him as the king and so i come back and i say the king's allies they're going to be vindicated but the king's enemies they will be destroyed and in my heart of hearts i don't want you to be one of those people i I don't know if you saw this video clip of this young girl whose father was murdered a police officer in houston And she's standing at her father's funeral weeping and saying, I want to meet the person who took my father's life. Not so I can scream at him. Not so I can berate him. Not so I can yell at him, but so that I can tell him about Jesus. Because she doesn't want that man to spend eternity apart from Christ. And Jesus' second coming is the reality, the wake-up call. He's coming, and He will judge the world. And we see the Lord's announce. We see Him appearing. And then we see, finally, our Lord acts in verse 31. His sending forth, it says that He will send forth His angels, is another testament to His authority. Who's doing the sending? The Son sends His angels. The deity of Jesus he is God. And then there's the sound of a great trumpet, which often signals, hey, there's an end-time event taking place here, or a big-time event. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Trump will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise. We see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. We see it here, something big. But here, as in Isaiah 27, verse 13, it serves to call together a convocation. So the purpose of the trumpet, call together a convocation of his elect, but commensurate and and coinciding with it is the judgment of the wicked. I read to you the Matthew 13 passage, and I said, his angels. So his angels come, and his angels come and they bring judgment. But his angels also come after the judgment, once the judgment has... The wicked have been sorted out. And this is in Matthew chapter 25 as well. We'll get to it. The the sheep and the goats. Once they're separated, those who are destined for destruction, those who are destined for life, then once that judgment is meted out, whoa, he gathers the elect. They're sorted out. The angels gather the elect whom he has preserved through this horrible time, the 70th week, he's preserved them. He'll gather them together. These are the people hiding in the caves. These are the 144,000 who are believers, believing Jews. These are the converts from those 144,000 believing Jews. These are people who come to Christ through some of their means during this awful time. He'll gather them together and take them right into his kingdom. It's another reason I believe we won't be here because these people will be believers that were ushered into his eternal kingdom. If everybody was caught up at the end and brought back, there would be no believers in the kingdom. It would be glorified people. There's no non-glorified people in the kingdom if we're all taken up and come back at the same time. If it's all at the end. And so he says, this is it. He's going to do this. And they'll be gathered from the four winds. That just means from everywhere on earth. okay? From the four winds, from the compass, you know, the east, west, north, northwest, east, and south, all that way. And they're gathered together and brought before Christ. I don't know if you've ever driven in the country in, in the fall of the year and seen like hordes of geese uh, in the fields. But I've seen that before. You know, they're just, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of them all in this field. They're gathering before they head south. here, he depicts a gathering, uh, not for migration but for victory and an entrance into the kingdom. MacArthur's promise was this: "I will return." Now, what, what, what would be the usefulness of that promise as you are leaving the Philippines, in World War Two? Well, first of all, I think that promise would would solidify, strengthen, steal the faith of those who are remaining that, hey, we can press on in light of the fact that He's going he's to come back, okay? Fight the battle against the tyranny. Secondly, it would stir in their hearts, oh, I hope He comes. I'm, I'm waiting for this to happen. It would also provide it uh, stimulated support for others. They, they rallied support for the troops to come back and, and make it happen. And then finally, it'd be like, kind of scary for the people who are your enemies, right? He says he's coming back, so we don't know. Uh, we're kind of looking over our shoulder to wait till it, it happens. The same thing is true when Jesus says, I will return. Those who are alive now, even now, we can be faithful to press ahead in, our, in, the, in the difficulties and the hardships of life. Even if we're not going to be there in that 70th week, we can press ahead now because he's going to come back and take us to be with him. Caught up to be with him in the, in the air. So we can endure now because it's going to be better. And if I'm wrong and we all end up going through it alive, then hey, it's still going to be good. Because He's coming back. We can be strong in what we're doing. We can be stimulated to share the gospel because we don't want other people to go through the horror and the judgment. Anyway. Yeah, we want Him to come back because when Jesus comes back, then the kingdom starts and all that this world, the aches and pains and hardships and difficulties of this world will fully and finally be done. Yes, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And it gives us motivation to share the gospel and it should stir fear in the lives of those who are living in rebellion against God. Because God's not messing around. He's going to bring judgment. You know, when I was a young boy, uh, I went to, I think I've told you, I went to Camp Matigua, Boy Scout camp. It's up here northwest by Madrid, right? So I was at Camp Matigua, week-long Boy Scout camp. And the only way I endured the, the, the emotional and physical and mental challenges of Boy Scout camp was I knew that my dad and mom were coming on Saturday to get me. You know, that was great. They're coming. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming. I wonder, who are you praying for? Who are you seeking to share the gospel with? So that, number one, if, if I'm right, they'll be taken with the Lord when He returns to rapture His church. Or number two, they won't be going through the judgment that God will inflict when He brings and comes, Jesus comes a second time. We want them to know Jesus. I hope you have some people, at least somebody, somebody in your family, somebody who's a neighbor, somebody who's a friend. But you're praying for them. You're asking God to give you open doors and open hearts and 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 an open mouth to share the gospel with, to share the, with them the joy of knowing Jesus. And if you're here listening or you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I hope and I pray that the reality of Jesus' return does strike terror in your heart. Not just so you can, oh, I need a, a life insurance to get my ticket to heaven and then I'm good. No, but so you realize it's true and that you are a sinner and you need salvation. You need to know that God loves you and He has a plan for your life to make a difference and He wants you to spend eternity with Him And you know, the thing is, when Christ came the first time, He accomplished redemption. Not as a baby in a manger, but as a man on the cross. And we take a little wafer to remind us of His body that was broken and a little bit of juice to remind us of His blood that was shed. So that all who believe could be forgiven and enter into eternal life that begins the moment we put our faith or our trust in Christ and it's a memory a member a remembrance of his pardon that comes to us undeserved so that there is sober reflection in the taking of these elements i don't deserve and can it be that i should gain an entrance in the savior's blood died he for me who caused his pain And it's a time of joyful celebration because those who trust Jesus are His children. And He loves us. And He's rescued and will redeem us and He's rescued us from judgment that leads to condemnation. His second coming takes the cross and completes the work. Fully and finally ushering us into a kingdom for eternity. Let's pray, Father. As we uh, take a moment or two to reflect on our lives, to confess our sin and get our hearts right with you in preparation of taking this little wafer and the juice, I pray that the promise of the Son's coming, the King's coming, would steal our faith if we know Jesus. Keep us strong and courageous in the midst of a battle that seems to be one that we're losing as believers. I pray that it would stir within us a desire for the return of Christ to rapture his church and at the end of the age to gather his elect and usher them into the kingdom. I pray that it would... Stimulate us to share the gospel. And I ask that you would strike terror in the hearts of those who don't know Jesus so that they might be broken and come to repentance and faith.